from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. A time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to Duncan Dynasty. Alongside Anthony Brown, I am Garrett Bougay, and we've finally gotten around to what is the most controversial game in NBA history. That is Game 6 of the 2002 Western Conference Finals between the Sacramento Kings and the Los Angeles Lakers. Heading into the game, the Kings had a 3-2 series lead over Kobe and Shaq. And uh, they uh, they looked like they had a lot of the momentum coming off the big shot from Mike Bibby in the Game 5 win. Mm-hmm. And uh, they played well throughout uh, Game 6, but were kind of undermined by the officiating. I'm really sad right now, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. The Kings deserved to win this so much. They played so hard, and... Oh my gosh, like the greatest tragedy in sports is not a, uh, it, it's not a, a bad title for this, you know, like this is, it's pretty accurate. Yeah, that uh, that greatest tragedy in sports, the YouTube series that uh, some poor Sacramento Kings fan <laughs> created, right? Uh, you know, showing off a lot of the fouls and the, uh, the discrepancies going on in that series, uh, but uh, you know, before we get into, we're going to break down a lot of the officiating that we saw throughout the course of the game. Before we get into that, I thought we'd just talk just about some of the general game and, and some of the performances. Okay. Uh, one of the things I thought was uh, was interesting that I didn't even remember from the King side of things was that you know we, we saw the return of Peja Stojakovic in Game 5, right, yeah. uh, but this was the first game where we got to see at least a hint of what Peja was capable of. I think he had double digits off the bench. Right, yeah, he's, he's making some shots. Uh, there was a few times where he, uh, I, I remember him driving to the basket, and I think he missed the first one and then tips it in, mm-hmm. and then on that second drive, he's able to go in with some force, make a good move, like, uh, earlier in the series, it definitely seemed like uh, with the one game he came back, he was having a lot of issues pushing off of that foot. He wasn't getting any explosion or acceleration, and his agility was really low. Uh, this game, he, you know, not full strength by any means, but able to help him out. Um, really? Yeah, we're going to get into this stuff. I feel so bad. They, it Had they won this game, you think about what Peja would have done in that next series against the Nets. Right, as he continued to get healthier and healthier. Right. Uh, the... Um... You know, he was able to knock down a jump shot or two, but still the jump shot seemed to be a little bit off. He missed a couple of free throws, which was very surprising. Right. 0 for 2 at that one stretch of the line. Like, yeah. wait, what? Like, But, uh, you know, going towards, uh, you know, Bobby Jackson, I think, played really well for yep. uh, for Sacramento. He had a, he had a pretty good performance. Uh, and, you know, looking at the Lakers side of things, Shaq was just, uh, you know, his usual dominant self. Right. How many rebounds did he have? I believe he had uh, 17. 17 and 41 points. Uh, Yeah, I mean, one of the greatest centers of all time. But I think it definitely helps when 
you're allowed to get away with some of those free throws there that we'll get into. So let's, uh, without further ado, get into the officiating. That's sure. probably going to be most of this discussion <laughs> on this game. But uh, right off the bat, one of the opening defensive possessions for the Kings, Chris Weber was called for a three-second uh, defensive violation, even though you know he, he was guarding Robert Ory, who was kind of at the, the top of the key of the three-point line, and he had strayed away from him which may have been more in line with legal defense. Right. But they called it defensive three seconds, and, and we, we <laughs> rewound the game quite a few times to, to look at these calls and see what we thought. Uh, but uh, he had just been in the key for a single second prior yeah. to that, that, uh, that whistle. Yeah, we literally counted together like, okay, one. Wait, that was it? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, and I do think if it was a legal defense, I think they could have called it because he was kind of – he didn't immediately go to double, but if you're calling three in the key, I think Shaq might have been in the key more than three seconds during yeah, that play. Right. Uh, and then, you know, shortly after in the first quarter, Weber called for a technical foul. Uh, he was called for a personal after uh, trying to reach in and get a jump ball on Kobe Bryant. Right. Uh, and it looked like Kobe took offense to Weber trying to grab the ball and kind of ripped away. Right. And Weber, you know, kind of w- took a couple steps towards him, taking offense to that, and they, they called him for a technical foul. Seemed like, you know, at the very worst, that should be a double tech or nothing at all. Yeah, I, I think it should have been nothing at all, uh, to be honest. You know, uh, the commentators we were talking about it at the time, Bill Walton's like, well, Weber should have just walked away. Um, but, you know, they both were involved in this. Weber didn't come at him, you know, for no reason. It's because... Kobe was throwing elbows at him, so I think it should have been a no call, to be honest. Right. So, right there, that's a couple of points pretty early on that are in favor of the Lakers. Right. Then there was a foul on Mike Bibby. Kobe Bryant uh, dribbled into the lane and took, like, about a 10-foot floater. It didn't appear that Bibby contested it, but it didn't appear that he he fouled him. If anything, he may have touched him after the release. Right. Uh, But uh, that was something that didn't seem like a you know, a terrible call, but uh, it seemed like something that should have been let go. Right. Which, again, allowed the Lakers uh, with Kobe to knock down the the free throw. So there's three points. Right. The biggest thing, though, for me is the foul calls on the Sacramento Kings centers. Right. And how important that is, not only for the fact that, uh, you know, they're coming off the floor, but then you had Pollard as the backup center. He got in foul trouble, and Devox was in foul trouble, and they had to rely on Lawrence Funderburg, who right. is just no match for Shaquille O'Neal. Right. <laughs> the uh, the first foul on Vlade was just simply him bodying up Shaq while Shaq was posting up. Again, another situation where we noticed on several of these where Vlade got called for just essentially trying to push Shaq away from the basket. Uh, you know, he's got one forearm on his back, and right. the other hand is denying trying to three-quarter him right. in the post. P- perfectly legal defensive position, not extending the arm for a push, just, right. you know, using his body weight to try to keep Shaq from pushing him under the basket. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was called for that foul, and, and on both of, both of the occasions where he was called for fouls in those situations, it seemed like Shaq was camping out in the lane, too, and could have been called for three seconds. Right. Yeah, it, clearly going one-sided there. I mean, again, Shaq had a great game, but you're going against one of the biggest, strongest players in the history of the game. Defensively, you're allowed to have position, and you're going to have to, you know, get low and not push off, but hold your ground against that. You're allowed to do that. 
if you can't do that, Shaq's going to score 70 every game. <laughs> right. You know? Um, yeah. But, uh, so, Vlade picked up his first on one of those types of calls. Right. And then his second was a play where he got a pass around the free throw line, and he took a step in and did a little bit of a floater shot. Mm. And Lindsey Hunter came up from underneath him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, got a charge call on Vlade, even though it's, it appeared to me that Lindsey Hunter clearly slid underneath him. Yeah, uh, very similar to a play that we were talking about. Was it in the finals with LeBron James? Yes, and uh, that was that uh, uh, game one where uh, Kevin Durant drove in and LeBron slid to his left, and they had that controversial where they went to the replay and overturned it because originally it was called a charge, and then they changed it to a block. Right, yeah, it looks like Lindsey Hunter, his momentum was still carrying him to the left there. And he also was kind of coming up underneath Vladi after he'd already, you know, started to elevate. Right. Um, yeah, I think a bad call. And at this point, though, in the game, it doesn't seem super obvious that it's going against the Kings because right. the Kings are still in the game here. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we were to just look at this alone, point-wise, uh, the Lakers are, are, what, ahead by, like, three, five points now yeah. based on these calls. Be, well, assuming, you know, Vlade goes to the free-throw line based on that if it's a block. Right. And so, they, de- uh, you know, the Lakers were able to take advantage of three free-throws based on the three-second violation, the technical, and uh, the and-one. Right. So that's three points plus the potential two from Vlade. There's five potential points right uh, so yeah already you know just halfway through the first quarter we're, we're talking about a significant advantage the lakers have, have gained here yeah but uh you know the the next one i thought this was kind of questionable because on the replay it did look like maybe potentially it was a clean block but uh scott pollard had a play where and again pollard's in the game because vlade picked up those two early fouls right right so he went at shack and shack kind of took the contact and fell over I think it was a good no call. Pollard got the offensive rebound though. Right. Went to put it back up, and Brian Shaw comes from behind, and oh, uh, yeah. and w- appears to block it clean up top. But it appeared to me that he also got some contact on the body down low. He did, and I think that's one that uh, could have definitely been called a foul. I guess I get why they didn't because the block was clean. But you see there's contact made, and Pollard ends up falling in the direction of that hit, almost out of bounds. Uh, yeah, I think it probably should have been called. Well, and to, to make it, you know, to make it clear, we're, we're trying to be as, uh, you know, impartial as possible in this. Uh, so we do have some calls that we noticed went against the Kings, which we'll get to. Right. Uh, but uh, considering Vlade and Pollard aren't very great free-throw shooters, we'll, we'll assume that they made two of the four. So we'll just say that... We'll not count that uh, that one on Pollard, even though we thought it may have been a foul. Okay. Uh, the uh, the next one I noticed was uh, a play where uh, Chris Webber, right after the Lakers had scored a bucket, the the Kings uh, were able to hit Webber in transition, and he did a nice little uh, kind of scoop shot with his right hand. Right. And Samaki Walker kind of jumped out, and he had his hand straight up, but he was jumping towards. Weber on the contact, and there was definite contact on right. that play. Weber made the shot, but there was no foul call. I thought that should have been most likely an and one. I think you're right. Yeah, so that'd be another extra. So there's there for... six points. <laughs> uh, then, uh, then we had um, 
the the first couple of fouls on Scott Pollard seem to be legit. I think they're both yeah. on Shaq. Yeah. And, you know, Shaq certainly deserves his credit for drawing some legitimate fouls in this game. He certainly did. Right. Uh, but uh, the third foul on Pollard was uh, a play where Shaq got the ball pretty much two feet away from the basket, yeah. turned and dunked, and Pollard put his arms straight up and Shaq just dunked it on him. Yeah. But he didn't jump. He just was standing there. Right. And uh, it seemed like just an absolute nonsense call there. You know, you, you talk about the play I just mentioned with Chris Webber not getting the call in the and end one versus Shaq getting that end one call. Uh, you know, definitely some inconsistencies there with the whistle. Yeah, it was a really weird play. That was one that we went back and <laughs> rewound and watched a bunch of times to see maybe we'd miss something that Pollard had come down and hit him in the arm. No, it just, Shaq turns around, goes straight up and dunks it, and then gets a free free throw out of it. So there's, you know, we're, we're up to already seven points uh, in favor of the Lakers. Uh, now, there was uh, a play where Devin George was called, I believe this was in the second quarter, uh, where he was called for a foul on what looked like to be a, a pretty clean strip. Okay. Uh, but uh, oh, yeah. it, it was a non-shooting foul, so it wasn't as if the Kings actually benefited with free throws on that on that uh, blown call. But that is one, again, where, right. where we tried to look at it both ways and see some that went against the Lakers, and that seemed to be certainly one. Yeah. Now there was a... Um, uh, a, a play where we were kind of maybe in a little bit of a disagreement okay. on this one, a play where Kobe Bryant drove the ball along the baseline and tried to do a reverse slam. Oh, yeah. And I thought Weber kind of hit him on the, the his uh, his non-shooting hand, his left right. hand, which kind of for and he had the left hand on the ball, you know, as a way to kind of secure the basketball. And when he hit it, it seemed like Kobe kind of lost control of the ball and wasn't able to complete the dunk. But uh, you were kind of questionable on whether that was a foul. Yeah, I mean, it. I I think they definitely could have called that foul. There was contact made to that left arm by Weber, which would have been, what, his first or second foul? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah that's a good point. If So, the yeah, the play is Kobe's going baseline. He's attempting to do a reverse dunk, which would have been really cool to see. Yeah. Um, you know, his hands weren't quite big. Like, I've definitely had this with trying to dunk the ball. My hands aren't quite big enough to palm it like that, and so the ball just kind of falls out. Right. But your argument, if he had that left hand there that didn't get hit, he could have cupped it a little bit longer exactly. to maintain that ball. Um, yeah, basically, he just loses the ball in the right hand. I probably wouldn't have called that as, as a ref because I thought it was kind of light contact, but yeah. That, that could have been one in favor of the Lakers there. So. Right, and, you know, assume that would have been a shooting foul if it had right. been called. So, so uh, give them that too then. Right, so that brings it back down to uh, to five points. Then uh, the the third foul on Vlade Divac, like we were saying early on, it was another one of those just where he was bodying him up on the post. So right. pretty much the entirety of his foul trouble in the first half seemed to be bogus. Right. Uh, which, uh, you know, is ridiculous and uh, a reason why he didn't play as many minutes in that first half and Pollard had to play a lot and that, that forced Pollard to get into some foul trouble as well. So right. certainly, uh, you know, having both centers with three fouls and, uh, you know, by my estimation, four of those six were, were not good calls. Right. I mean, that, that that's absolutely huge. And important to... To point out too, D box is is playing pretty well at this point here yes. too. Are we at the end of the 
first half or yes we are there. Mm-hmm. um i i remember at the end of the first half um there's some really great passing going around like the the play clocks almost down you know to zero at the end of the second quarter uh chris weber gets a gets the ball thrown to him and he throws a little touch pass he's still in the air throws it to vladi vladi shoots a three at the top of the key and nails it at the buzzer I think he had, what, 11 rebounds at the time and maybe 11 points or something like that. Um, Pretty good for, you know, a role player, veteran player going against Shaq, and this is with the fouls. Right. Now, imagine if he got to play longer during that stretch. Pollard wouldn't have been in foul trouble at this point. Yeah. Well, and he, you know, he's just the the one guy on that team that I didn't think was afraid of Shaq, you know, and also a guy that made Shaq work on the other end. Right. Which is also big in terms of, you know, even if Scott Pollard is as good of a defensive player as Devox, maybe even slightly better. Sure. Uh, you know, the fact that Shaq has to work and defend Devox on the other end makes Shaq's offensive burden a little bit tougher. Right. Now, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, moving into the second half now, uh, we, uh, we did have an actual call that I thought should have gone against Devox, which okay. would, in my mind would have been his first personal foul right. in the third quarter. Uh, but uh, Shaq did a kind of a sweeping right-hand jump hook across the lane, and Devox kind of, you know, extended his arms. And, right. Uh, you know, the the key differentiator, I think, with a lot of these calls is, you know, when when they talk about going straight up, they you have to actually go straight up not only with your body but with your, with your arms, arms. Yeah. all the way from the shoulders to the fingertips, you know. A lot of guys you'll see, um, you know, kind of at a 45-degree angle. Right. And when the contact is made at that angle, according to the NBA rules, that is a foul. Sure. So uh, he had one of those on on a Shaq shot uh, that should have been called, which would you know move the the point totals back to uh, uh, to three uh, in favor of the Lakers. Right. Uh, but then we uh, we had a kind of a body check blocking call on Hito Turkoglu in the third quarter, pretty early on, where. Uh, you know, he, he may have put his hand a little bit onto the, the ball handler, but uh, yeah. this was prior to hand-checking. Right. And, uh, you know, they, they called a foul even though there was very minimal contact. Yeah, it definitely shouldn't have been a blocking call. There was no body contact made. His arms were kind of on him, but that was a normal defensive play, I thought. And mm-hmm. even with the contact, the offensive player was still, I think it might have been Kobe, was still flying past Turkaloo. Uh, yeah, ridiculous call. And, uh, you know, this wasn't a shooting foul, but the Lakers did get into the bonus in the third quarter, so that essentially counts for two points because once you get the fifth foul, if that foul isn't called, you know, those two free throws don't happen. Right. So we're back up to a five-point edge in favor of the Lakers. Right. Uh, but uh, then this was the, this was a huge one. There were a couple of huge calls, I thought, uh, that, that really impacted the course of the game. This was probably number one or two, but uh, it was because it was a, uh, you know, a, a five-point swing where Mike Bibby dribbled to his left and went for one of his typical pull-ups from about 20 feet. Right. And Derek Fisher clearly slaps him on the arm, which causes the ball to go straight up into the air. Right, which they don't uh, call. Right, and, you know, you can tell it's not a strip most of the time based on the ball's trajectory. Right. You know, if it's a clean strip on the basketball, the ball generally will go down. But in this case, it goes straight up because he just hits his arm, which causes the ball to go up. Right. Uh, and then it immediately leads to Kobe Bryant in transition, uh, and he gets right. an and one, which again is another foul call on Pollard. 
which uh, didn't seem to be uh, anything at all. He was kind of just contesting the shot from behind. Didn't seem to be any contact based on the replay. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely not enough. Con- if there was any contact, not enough to call a foul. Kobe splits this double team to make a really good shot, but it should have just been a regular layup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, a, again, a five-point swing. Right. So that's, you know, now the Lakers are are benefiting by 10 points based on the whistle. Right. Uh, the, now another one I noticed that, uh, you know, went against the Lakers was an offensive foul that should have been called on Mike Bibby as he drove right into the chest of Derek Fisher. Yeah. Kind of extended his arm a little bit as well after the, the contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, but again, that would have been just an offensive foul. The Lakers would have had the ball. It did end up being Derek Fisher's fourth personal, but it was late in the third quarter, so I don't think it really impacted Fisher's minutes too much. Right. Uh, but uh, but certainly that that seemed to be a, a good defensive play from Fisher. Yeah, I think Fisher was the only person on the Lakers who seemed to be in any foul trouble. With right, all this. <laughs> and uh, somehow the Kings had uh, you know um, the Kings ended up with Devox and uh, Pollard both fouled out and Weber with five to end right. the game. It's uh, absolutely absurd. Right. Uh, so we uh, we then had uh, to start the the fourth quarter. This is when things get get really bad for Sacramento. Right. <laughs> uh, we had a uh, you know Scott Pollard's fifth foul was you know and again Pollard's fourth foul was the one on Kobe that was bogus. He had the uh, the other one against Shaq his his third foul where he went straight up. Mm-hmm. So his third foul his fourth foul was bogus. His fifth foul was an illegal screen in which uh, he seemed to be completely stationary and was right. called for an offensive foul. <laughs> Then his sixth foul was bogus as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, going up again, straight up as Shaq did his right hand sweeping hook across the lane. Pollard just moved, you know, sideways with Shaq and put his arms completely straight, straight up. up. Yeah. Minimal contact whatsoever. And, uh, you know, so just like that, Scott Pollard was fouled out. His last four fouls all being, uh, you know, bad calls. Yeah, in 30 seconds of the <laughs> second half there, yeah. And so, you know, Devox then has to come into the ball game, uh, you know, without getting much rest. So it's already impacting them as far as that's concerned. And he very quickly picks up his fifth foul on another bogus call mm-hmm. where, again, a, a, a play by Shaq where he, uh, he kind of did a step-through move where he went with his right, right. and then kind of went up on his left side. Yeah. And Devox just contests it. And that uh, greatest tragedy in sports has a great, uh, you know, kind of still image freeze framing that moment and it's Vlade Divox contesting the shot and he's got his left hand pinky on Shaq as right. he, after the shot on the follow through right. and they called that a foul on Divox which again his fifth foul with around eight and a half minutes to go in the ball game so now they've got to go to Funderburk Lawrence Funderburk their third center right. uh, with a good chunk of time left in the fourth yeah another really blown call. I thought, I thought it almost could have been a, a travel on Shaq as he's whipping himself around the, the lane and everything. He probably didn't move that pivot foot, but definitely not a foul on, on Divas there. Right. And so, you know, you talk about he made, uh, Shaq made one free throw on the, uh, the, the foul on Pollard uh, when he fouled out, and then he made another one free throw on Divas's fifth foul. So now we're up to 12 points in favor of the Lakers. Right. Uh, then we had, uh, you know, 
this this to me was the other crucial one along with that uh, five-point swing I mentioned earlier was the Kings were still, despite all of this and despite, as, as we've gathered, a 12-point edge to the Lakers based on the referees, the Kings were still up 92-90 to 90 <laughs> right. with uh, a little under four minutes to go. Uh, in the fourth quarter, yeah, and Weber gets the ball on the block, guarded by Robert Ory. He turns over his left shoulder to do his classic, you know, right hand jump hook. Robert Ory reacts late, slides over, takes the hit, but uh, he's clearly late. He's not set. Weber was basically past him at that point. Right. Weber knocks down the jump hook, but they call it an offensive foul on Weber. So again, another likely three-point play for the Kings that uh, is is overturned. Yeah, and that uh, the look on Weber's face afterwards, <laughs> he kind of stops with his hand out and just like just begging the refs, like, please, can you please call? Like, he's just like, what are your thoughts on that look there? Yeah, I mean, that's just one of those things. Just like you got to be kidding me at this point, and you know, after yeah. all of the previous calls and at that crucial moment of the ball game. I mean, that's another one where maybe even just a no-call is all right. And, right. you know, the Kings still benefit with the made shot. But it's the making it a bad call by calling it a charge, negating the basket. It's just so crucial and, and, and such a blow to the team at that time. Right. Wow. Now, uh, so that, you know, we're, we're up to 15 now. <laughs> we're up to 15 points. Right. And, uh, you know, again, despite that, Kings still leading the ball game by two. And uh, we um, we then have what looks to me uh, to be, um, you know, a missed call that, uh, you know, kind of hurt the Kings, though, anyway, because there was a play where Robert Ory had the ball at the top of the key, and he, uh, he went to drive past Weber, and Weber went to kind of get the strip and clearly hit him on the wrist. That was a foul on Weber. Definitely. And that would have, according to, you know, the, the fouls that he picked up throughout the game, although, again, I think some of the fouls Weber picked up were bogus, uh, the, uh, that would have been the sixth on Weber. Right. But, I, but it ended up being that that wasn't called, so the ball gets on the floor. It's a loose ball. Vlade Divac dives in because he wants to get the basketball and is called for his sixth foul. And uh, I think even though Weber certainly is a, is a much better player than Divac, I think especially with uh, Pollard already fouled out, I think it would have been better if Weber fouled out in that situation and the Kings right. still had Devox to guard Jack. I agree. Vlade was making a, a big impact there, and they needed... Because with Vlade out now, too, as you keep saying, we have to go back to Lawrence Thunderbrook, right. who's just absolutely nowhere close to a match. There's actually a lot of times that Chris Weber after this, is having to guard Shaq exactly. with the five fouls uh, is just not a good situation, and, and obviously the Lakers capitalize on that. So, you know, Robert Ory able to, he was able to, to knock down the, the free throws and, uh, you know, tie the game up at 92. We had a few possessions where it went back and forth. I think Bibby had a nice, a nice shot at one point. Mm-hmm. Kobe hit a shot. Shaq hit one. And it was it was really going back and forth, but uh, I believe the Kings were up ninety four ninety three. Okay. And uh, Kobe gets the ball and drives along the baseline, and uh, Chris Webber and Doug Christie both kind of converge on him. Doug Christie kind of backs away oh, right. while still contesting, and Webber from behind blocks Kobe 
and they called a foul on Doug Christie, even though you know he he kind of just kept going away from Kobe and yeah. and, and allowed Weber to get the block. Yeah, I another bad call to be honest. I, I really didn't understand that, especially at that moment in the game. Right, uh, you got to let the players play. Right, and uh, you know so. So that allows Kobe to go to the free throw line. He knocks down the two free throws. So again, shouldn't have happened. That Now we're talking 17 points in favor of the Lakers. And still at this point, you know, the Kings are competing. They're still, they're still fighting. And they were down 101 to 100 with, with 20 seconds left. And, you know, I think Weber hit a, a really clutch shot. And uh, Bibby knocked down another clutch shot to to keep them within striking distance. Right. But, you know, they're down one point with uh, the shot clock turned off, then they're forced to foul. Yeah. And, you know, that that puts them down. uh, That puts them down three points. They again come back and make it a a one-point game where the Lakers are inbounding it. And this is with about 11.8 seconds left. And Kobe Bryant uh, is being basically all-out denied by Mike Bibby. And it appears that Bibby is about to essentially hold Kobe and yeah. kind of put his arms around it. But before he even, I think, gets to do that, Kobe, with his right elbow, just goes across Bibby's face, hits him right in the noggin, yeah, and uh, sends Bibby to the floor, obviously. He ends up bleeding. You know, Kobe got the inbound and got fouled. And the referees, even though Bibby's bleeding, force the Kings to take a timeout. Uh, to yeah. to make sure Bibby's okay. Uh, that was the point where I I started getting upset slash sad <laughs> at this. That just to watch, they kept showing the replay over and over. Kobe just clocking him in the face, um, and Bibby's on the ground, and then having to towel off his nose, which has started to bleed now, and to have Dick Pavetta, the ref, be like, "Hey, you got to pick it up. There's going to be a delay of game. You know, can you hurry it up?" Like. What that and and when you look at the replay, that the ref is looking straight at Kobe and Bibby. His head—I don't know where his eyes were, but his head was in that direction the whole time. Uh, just a you know a dirty play that doesn't get called with 11 seconds left. There's there's no excuse for that. I don't right. understand what the ref was doing there. Well, and even in the event that say they call the foul on Bibby on the hold. It should have been a flagrant on Kobe then, right. which benefits the Kings even in that situation. So the, for the people claiming, oh, well, Bibby held him first, well, you know, the Kings still would have been out in that situation with an opportunity to win the ball game. Right. She got two free throws on each side and then the Kings basketball. Right. So, uh, you know, the, uh, the situation was just ridiculous. And we've forgotten to mention throughout this whole stretch, especially in the fourth quarter, of just the Kings' bench reactions. You know, Rick Adelman throughout the ball game, but especially in that fourth quarter, you know, when D-Vox was getting in foul trouble, you know, the, those plays where Bibby got hit on the arm, you know, he, he's just got a look of astonishment on his face. Like, what is happening? This I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it's, it's so sad. And this is a bench that, like, you know, I love watching them throughout the series so far because uh, they're so energetic. They're what you want in a basketball team. It's a it's a stark contrast to the Lakers bench, which is very, 
matter-of-factly, like, here we go, we're doing a job. Some of them seem bored to be there. They don't seem to get along very well. The kings are up there high-fiving people. Like, there's smiles everywhere. And you just see how de just dejected everyone is and just awestruck. Like, oh, my gosh, how is this happening to us? It's so sad. Yeah. Um, we're, uh, we're basically up to, we're up to 19 points now that, uh, that the Lakers have benefited in this ball game. And, you know, the, the other funny one was, uh, the other, other funny reaction to bad calls was when Devox did finally pick up his sixth foul. Right. He would just like sarcastically clapping the referees. He just gets up immediately from the ground, walks straight to the bench. Like, yeah, great call. Great job. You guys, that's awesome. Uh, because clearly, I mean, how many of these calls for for Vlade did you say were were bogus? Like, you're, uh, I think it was. I think it might have been even five. Oh wow! Five of the six, because the first three were all bogus in the first half. Right. And then the uh, I believe it was the last two were also bogus. Right. So five of the six. And again, I mentioned there was one that I felt like should have been called that wasn't. Right. But. That's two fouls. You know, he shouldn't have been in foul trouble the entire game. Right. And Pollard wouldn't have had to play. Thunderbrook wouldn't have even had to play at all. Uh, yeah, this is this is pretty ridiculous. So the other thing, you know, we're up to 19 points. The Lakers have benefited in this ball game from the referees. Right. The other thing that uh, we need to point out is Shaq's free throws. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> he shot uncharacteristically well in this ball game. 13 of 17 from the stripe. And there seems to be a reason for that. Yeah, uh, when you shoot illegally for the free throws, it turns out it's a lot easier to make them. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, to to kind of give more detail to the, how they were illegal, uh, and what was funny was the four that he missed, I think, were all where he didn't do the illegal move. Right. Uh, but the 13 <laughs> that he hit was where he would release the shot and before the ball reaches the rim, he would step over the free throw line and land with his. Generally, it was his left foot, which is right. a little bit unusual, but yeah. Uh, but uh, certainly, um, it helped him because I think he was thirteen of thirteen doing the illegal move versus zero for four when he shot it. And uh, you know, even in the four that he missed, he did end up stepping and landing uh, past the free throw line. But he hesitated and waited until the ball got to the rim before he landed. Right. Um. This this was another thing that, uh, weirdly enough, reminded me of a situation with LeBron, again, from, from this recent season. There was a game that I remember you uh, telling me about that you were watching. It was some at some point during the playoffs where LeBron James had been shooting uncharacteristically well from the free throw line. It was in the Indiana series. And there you go. In particular, I believe it was the game five of that series where they, uh, they, they escaped with a narrow victory. Right. Um, you know, and I bring this up because I think some people out there might be like, well, what's the big deal that he's stepping forward? How would that make you shoot better? You still have to start the shot from behind the line. But with LeBron, you know, he was shooting really, really well. They, the ref started to call. Well, so basically what happened is that LeBron was also stepping forward. Yes. And doing a very similar thing, I think, except with his right foot. Right. Instead of his left, like Shaq was. So you're shooting it, your momentum's going forward and you're stepping forward into the lane before the ball hits the rim or goes into the basket. And think about just in terms of the release point. If uh, if you're leaning forward and able to to take a step into the paint and you know you don't have to keep your balance and stay back, 
you can actually get the ball a little bit closer to the rim on those shots. Right, which adds a few percentage points to your to your shot there. So, And then you were telling me that once the refs started to call LeBron They on called it once, I should, okay. I should state. Sure, they only sure. called it one time, right. but after they did that, he did stop doing it. Right, and his percentage went down right, right afterwards. Yeah. So very possible that had on like the first free throw of this game, if the refs would have called that for Shaq, maybe he would have stopped stepping forward every time and his free throw percentage would have gone back down to his normal, what, 50-something percent. Right. And and again, you know, we're, we're talking about a couple of points here or there making the difference. You know, if he shoots even 10 of 17 instead of 13 of 17, right. which I think would have been above his normal percentages, that's another three points, which again... At the moment where Kobe elbows Bibby in the face, the Kings are down one point. Right. So regardless of all the other calls in right. the game, if they just stop Shaq from illegally shooting free throws, the Kings win. Yeah. It's, I, I'm so sad at this because at every one of these, these points, you know, um, the, the Kings just kept fighting back. Uh, I, I think it's something that um, I think it's easy for people to say, like, uh, you know, just play through it. You know, don't worry about the refs. And I think this actually came up on one of the um, NBA TV, Chris oh. Webber and Shaq and Ernie Johnson. Oh, open say. court. Open yeah. court. Um, I don't know if you remember this. I brought it up before, but like there, uh, there was one episode where they were talking about playoff series and somehow the conversation gets to this series. Yes. Chris Webber and Shaq are both there. And Chris Webber tries to be, you know, sportsmanlike, but he mentions that the refs were a little unfair to us during that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Shaq's like, nah, you can't talk about the refs. You know, you got to play through it. We won that series fair and square. And for a second, you see Webber get kind of upset, like, come on, dude, you have to admit that we got wronged here. We should have won this game. And... I would love to see like a 30 for 30 on this of both of their takes on it because holy crap, they got wronged. The Kings kept fighting back throughout all of this. uh, You said, what, 19 points or more with the foul shots. They only were down by a point at this point where Bibby gets hit in the face. Right. They could have won this despite all of this. Exactly. Yeah, you know... um... Mentioning, let's again, let's just let's give Shaq the benefit of the doubt and say, under normal circumstances, if he was shooting them legally, uh, you know, he would shoot ten of seventeen. That's another three that we're up to twenty-two. Right. And you know, say we did come at this with a little bit of a, you know, again, we tried to, we mentioned examples of fouls we thought went against, you know, the Lakers as well. But say, you know, there are a couple of calls that we're we're not, we didn't get a great angle at or whatever, you know. Even if you take away five or six of the calls we're talking about, we're still talking about double digits. Right. And uh, in a game this close, that's all that matters. And, and that's that's what's so hard. The Kings didn't have to just beat Kobe and Shaq and Phil Jackson. They had to beat the referees as well. Right. And that just was a little bit too tough of a hurdle to overcome. It's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the, uh, the other interesting thing, as you mentioned, despite the reps, it was still just an excellent basketball. And that's what's one of the, the great things about this series is the basketball itself was so visually appealing and fun to watch, you know, different types of uh, teams going at it. And, uh, you know, they they were really well matched. 
But, uh, you know, through the games four and six that we've watched, my thought is that the Kings are still, you know, the, the vastly superior basketball team. Yeah. Uh, the games that the Lakers have won have all been, you know, through some type of lucky break at the end. You talk about what game was that? Game, game four, four yeah. right? Uh, you've got Samaki Walker getting that call where he shoots the three and didn't get the shot off in time. But yep, from about 35 points. feet, and even even that is just a lucky shot in general, let alone it shouldn't have counted. Right, uh, and you got Robert Ory hitting the shot at the buzzer, even though he should have been in there trying to get a rebound and just standing at the three-point line. Um, you know, I, I thought the Kings were clearly the better team of, uh, out of all this. And I'm just so sad when we're watching the post-game interview Shaq's like, you know, I'm not going to talk about the refs. I've never complained about the refs. I'll, I'll never complain about it now. I'm not going to change my game. He asked Kobe about it, and, you know, Kobe's, like, annoyed that the press and other people are are saying that the Kings are the better team and that the Kings should beat this Lakers team. Like, you know, he's annoyed at the fact that the Kings think that they can beat us, you know, and that they're that arrogant coming up against us. The Kings were the better team. They, they were the should better have team won. in the regular season as well with 61 victories. Yeah, and this is with not only with the calls and not only with all these unlucky breaks, but Peja Stoyakovich has been hurt this whole time. Yes, and again, you know, this game he did give them something, which sure. was a positive effect. You know, helped the boost the bench certainly, but you know. He didn't give them anything in games one through four. It was probably a negative impact in game five when he came in. Right. Uh, so, you know, yeah, you, your second best player, or maybe your third, if you, depending on how much you like Mike Bibby, but right. based on regular season production, he was Stoyakovich was their second best player. Yeah, they, they didn't get hardly anything from him in this series, and despite that, should have won. Yeah. It's so sad, dude. The, uh, the, the other thing I thought, uh, you know, we discussed in, in part one of, uh, of this podcast, the, the idea of you being a little bit frustrated with Weber's passing. Oh, but, wow. uh, but in this <laughs> game, it seemed to, uh, you know, that flashy style really seemed to pay off. I counted three behind-the-back passes, and he was three for three. They all ended up being baskets. And then he had one pass in particular I thought was absolutely phenomenal, where he drove left along the baseline got past the defense and kind of almost threw a pass behind him through a couple of Lakers defenders to Divox for a lay-in. He, his passing was incredible during this game. Uh, the first of the behind-the-back passes, I was being kind of nitpicky where he's at like the top of the key, maybe at a little above the foul line, throws a bounce pass that takes a little while to get all the way to the left wing. But it ends up getting there, and I, it might have been Peja who ends up hitting the three there. And I was like, uh, you know, he can't be throwing those behind-the-back passes like that, you know. Uh, he's great. It's great that he can throw them, but, you know, sometimes the simpler pass is the better pass. And then throughout the rest of the game, he just proves me wrong. He had some incredible passes coming up, uh, having Shaq come up to defend him and doing a really nice behind-the-back pass to someone for a dunk, like... Yeah, I, I'm sorry, Chris, for everything I said. You, you're a great passer, and you played great during this game, and you should have won, and I'm so sorry. Like, the Lakers should have to give back this title. Because had the Kings won, I think the, the Kings would have beat that Nets team with Jason Kidd and, and right. uh, 
who Kenny Martin and yeah Richard Jefferson but uh yeah it, uh Weber certainly certainly played a terrific game I think he had um may have had even a a triple double let me t- check Weber's final stats close uh, he had uh, oh he was two assists shy but he had 26 points 13 rebounds and eight assists yeah but uh you know again Vladi Divac played well 12 points 12 rebounds uh, you got production from Turkaloo, Stojakovic, Jackson. Uh, Christie played his typical great defense. Yeah, so the he Kings, really, yeah. Yeah, the Kings got great production. The one guy that struggled a little bit, he had he had a good moment uh, in the third quarter where he got a little bit hot, but for the most part, Mike Bibby struggled with his shot. He did, yeah. Uh, game four is like the only one so far that I remember where he was just going off and mm-hmm. pulling up on people. Yeah, he, he struggled a little bit. but He finished his 7 of 20 from the field, did hit a couple of threes, uh, you know, and contributed in other ways. Sure. But, uh, you know, he, he was a guy that, uh, you know, if he had a little bit better of a game, I think that would have uh, that would have helped Sacramento get over the, the hurdle as well. But mm. they basically would have needed everyone to play perfectly Right. To beat the Lakers on that day against the referees as well. Right. So after the excruciating loss for the Kings in game number six, they of course still had an upper, another opportunity in the series uh, with uh, with uh, home game seven, and you know the uh, the Lakers with a bit of the momentum as well though, and uh, you know the Kings you couldn't help but probably be a little bit uh, a little bit down after after the events of game six. Yeah, uh, definitely. I thought they still played really well, you know, despite that. But uh, you could definitely tell, especially during the stretch uh, of Game 7, that people were still upset and were still carrying that memory of Game 6 with them. Uh, At one point, there was even, you know, uh, the Kings got the call that they wanted. They called a foul on the Lakers, but... As the ref was blowing the whistle, I remember seeing Chris Webber already hands up looking at the ref like, what the hell? Like, well, you got the call, dude. Like, calm down. Right. Um, yeah. But the, uh, the, the game started, uh, you know, both teams were, were pretty aggressive. You know, a lot of game sevens, you'll typically see the teams kind of hesitant and maybe nervous. You know, you, you see more of a defensive battle, but really... I think the offenses for both teams were were pretty successful in in large part due to the fact that the Kings were able to play to their, you know, philosophical style sure. through, you know, the ball movement and the the passing and cutting and a balanced offense and the Lakers were were able to uh, you know, for for certain moments get the ball to Shaq. The Kings were trying to make that a little bit difficult, but you know, that's why you also have Kobe. They were able to to uh, allow Kobe to to uh, to take a lot of shots as well. Yeah, this was uh a great series. I'm, you know, kind of surprised I never watched it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you've been telling me for years about this. And yeah, game four through game seven was was amazing. Both teams playing to their strengths in the final game and both playing well. Um, you know, I, I don't know why I was under the impression with this series that, uh, you know, the the Kings end up losing game six or like the, you know, Really, the refs kind of steal that game from the Kings at Game Six, and then uh, the Kings just kind of gave up in Game Seven, uh, and that was wrong. Really, the the Kings were right in this uh, all the way through and played really, really well. So um, it's just so sad to watch to to know this now, and to know that nowadays 
like a kid growing up is not going to hear about Chris Webber and this Kings team. Uh, even though at the time it's, oh my gosh, they keep talking about this rivalry, rivalry, you know, this Kings Lakers rivalry is going to be something for years to come. And that just did not happen. Yeah. And you know, the, the big thing with, uh, with this loss for the Kings, the, the Kings lose the, the game seven in overtime. Uh, and, you know, one of the one of the big factors was the fact that the Kings shot so poorly at the at the charity stripe. Shot just 16 of 30 for the game. Gosh. And you know, in a game where you know a single point gets you a win versus a loss, uh, that that uh, you know that's just a killer. It really is. Uh, and I don't know why either. Like I, I can't think of a reason why they shot that poorly. Uh, they weren't a great free throw shooting team. Right to begin with, were they? Uh, no, I mean, you know, Devox and and uh, Chris Webber were both in the sixty percent right. range during the season, but both of them shot uh, even worse than that in this right. game. Webber was just two for four, Devox five of ten, so they both shot fifty percent from the line. Right. Hito Turkaloo missed three himself. Mike Bibby missed a couple. Uh, so yeah, throughout uh, throughout the entire roster, uh, they struggled. Yeah, and it. Games like this, it really, uh, it shows up. That was always one thing when I was playing that I was very aware of. Like, guys, we have to make our foul shots. If they're, it's literally a free throw. It's a free opportunity to score points. Uh, and games like this, you know, that can be the deciding factor, whether the refs are bad or, you know, shots are falling here and there. But if you can make those foul shots, you know, if they just shot a little bit better, they still would have won that game. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other couple of factors in this uh, for for Sacramento, which was part of the couple of the reasons why they weren't able to, to get the win, was Vlade Divac getting in foul trouble once again. I think most of these were were uh, you know of the legitimate variety. Yeah. In terms of the referees, I thought the uh, you know this game was officiated pretty well. Yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? No, I I thought the same. Uh, you know, kind of like the. Uh, the earlier games, you know, four and five, I thought, uh, I thought it was pretty good in that it it didn't favor one team or, over the other. Um, there still, I think, were maybe some calls here and there where it was like, well, I don't know about that call, but you know, the Lakers were complaining, the Kings were complaining. You know, overall, it wasn't bad. Nothing like Game Six, right? But uh, you know, Devox getting. Uh, picking up, I believe, his fourth foul pretty early on uh, in the third quarter, uh, ended up sitting for you know at least the last four or so minutes of the third, and then about the first half of the fourth quarter, then comes in and immediately picks up his fifth foul. Yep. Which you know those are kind of the why you know you shouldn't let foul trouble, in my opinion, as a coach, impact the guy's minutes too much because if you you know, when a guy picks up or gets into foul trouble and you're sitting him for an extended period of time more than he normally would, you as the coach are making sure that the foul trouble is having a negative impact on your team. Right, right. The The problem with foul trouble is that if they get too many fouls, they'll be out of the game. But if right. you take your player out of the game will, willingly, well, it's the same problem. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and... You know, Devox fouls out before even the the end of the fourth quarter, before the end of regulation. So he only was able to play about even less than six minutes with those uh, with those four fouls. Right. So that was a big problem. I mean, Devox was a plus seven 
uh, in his 27 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, he, he to me, you know, was certainly not the Kings' best player. He might not even be a top three player for that team. Sure, but, but in this specific matchup against Shaquille O'Neal, he was a must to have on the floor for Sacramento. Yeah, he was able to, you know, frustrate Shaq here and there. And, you know, when his shot was falling, that definitely helped him on the offensive end. Uh, him shooting that mid-range shot took Shaq out of the, the paint. A little bit. So he's got to kind of defend that shot that opens up the paint for other people to get to the basket. Um, and like you said, someone who's not afraid of Shaq, you know, that's huge. Right. Uh, you know, someone who's willing to take it to him or to stand their ground against him. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of stuck with Pollard out there who didn't, I don't think, had a bad game. But I think you need all the help you can, uh, you can get when you're going against a Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the other couple of factors for Sacramento, uh, the, the poor play, especially offensively from Doug Christie, who's just 2 of 11 from the field, missed all three of his three-pointers, missed a couple uh, down the stretch that were pretty crucial, and he missed them pretty badly. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Pesha Stojakovic, uh, you know, he, he definitely, again, looked even a little bit better physically in this Game 7 than he had a couple days prior in Game 6, but still, you know, I would say in Game 5, when he first came back, he looked more like 50%. Right. Maybe Game 6, he was at 80%. In game 7, he looked like close to 90%. But that last that last 10%, I think, is so crucial for the three-point shot because you need all the power in your legs on those deep shot attempts. And, you know, just a couple of inches can make the difference between it going in and not. And he had a couple that rattled in and out. Yeah, that, the, that one last shot, was that at the end of, Regulation. Yeah, he had. I think they were down one, and he oh, got gosh. a wide open three in the corner from pretty good ball movement and a, and a good possession from Sacramento. Yeah, and Stojakovic just uh, airballed it, yeah. uh, missed it to the right, I believe. Yeah, but, like uh, not even on target. <laughs> right. Uh, it's so sad to see that. Like, because uh, like you said, throughout regulation, there's so many other things of his game that were really working. He he looked good, cutting to the basket and everything. I mean, he was moving really well. But yeah, you know, you, you factor in the free throw shooting, you factor in, you know, having a guy like Peja Stojakovic, who's normally a great three-point shooter, not knocking anything down, and Doug Christie as well, struggling to, to produce offensively, and, you know, they still put up 100 points in, in regulation, Right. but it just, uh, it just wasn't quite enough. But uh, looking at the Lakers, one of the guys I thought was, uh, you know, Real instrumental in the victory, and and he was great in that game five we watched as well on the road in Sacramento was Rick Fox. Hmm. Uh, Rick Fox ended up with 13 points, seven assists, and 14 rebounds. He uh, he had, uh, you know, six offensive rebounds as well. So, you know, it it seems like a lot of times with a game seven, you've got that random guy that just does a few extra things than they normally do. You know, I remember that uh, game seven of the 2010 finals with the with the Celtics and Lakers, and that guy was Ron Artest just making key uh, plays down the stretch. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's somebody maybe you don't exactly expect, but Rick Fox was that guy for the Lakers. Yeah, that came up big. I didn't realize he had that many uh, rebounds there. That's but, really interesting. Yeah, you know, uh, the the Kings, I think, did a much better job in this game of trying to limit the opportunities that Shaq got yeah. uh, by, you know, really sagging off the shooters and, 
And uh, one of those plays led to a Robert Ory three down the stretch, which, again, another really clutch shot, even though he struggled shooting for the game for the most part. But uh, but even despite uh, Shaq not being able to get the ball maybe as much as he wanted, he still ended up with 35 points, 13 rebounds, and four blocks. Oh, yeah. Still a great effort. Although, I... After you pointed it out, I really do agree. Like, uh, so many illegal free throw attempts yep. with him stepping over the line. Again, Shaq foot. was 11 of 15 in this game after going 13 of 17. So, you know, in the both games in the around 70 plus percent from the right. free throw line when he's, you know, career wise, even a little bit probably below 60. Right. That, that again, could have been the difference if, if, the Kings make a little bit more free throws, and then they call that out, so he stops stepping over the line. That could be the game right there. Right. And, uh, you know, again, in a game that uh, that goes to overtime, those little things make a difference. And, and you mentioned some of the frustrations, especially of Chris Webber with the officiating, you know, maybe more frustrated with the previous game that kind of bleeds over, even if the right. Game 7, I think, was officiated pretty fairly. But mm-hmm. uh, he had a crucial technical uh, in the fourth oh, yeah. quarter as well that led to a free throw. And again, one point, that that makes a difference. It really was. I, I'm trying to remember what uh, what was it. He was on the offensive end trying to shoot the ball, and he thought he got fouled. Was it by Shaq? Uh, yes. I can't remember. He thought he got fouled, so he turns to the ref, claps his hand, and he's like, you know, call the foul. And they end up calling the tack on him, and it's like, I yeah, I think had game six not been officiated so poorly... Uh, you wouldn't see a foul like that. I think uh, our technical, uh, you know, happen like that. Uh, I, I really think, to be honest, I think the Kings were pretty poised considering what they went through in Game 6. Mm-hmm. You know, I would be extremely frustrated, and you could really see, really, I think for most of this game, Vladi Divox played pretty well, but in terms of the refs, he was totally focused on like the refs making the wrong call. There was there was a a call where I think there should have been a charge called in this game and they didn't call it. And I think from then on, Vladi was just like so upset. Oh, yeah, it was along the baseline. Shaq kind of just you know Vladi was set and Shaq just kind of shouldered right into him. Yeah. And then the, there was actually we were watching uh, they they had a clip of of Vlade talking with. Uh, with the official, and uh, it was Danny Crawford, I believe, okay. was the official, and he, he said to Vlade, he goes, Shaq stepped into you, but he didn't go through you. And we're just sitting there going, well, you don't need to go through him. Like, Shaq's not driving, dribbling straight forward towards the basket, so his momentum isn't going to continue, right. but he's he's backing down, so he does a back down and stops. Yeah. But you can have a back down with enough force that is worthy of an offensive foul. It doesn't. You don't need to go through the person, or right. continue your forward momentum for it to be too much contact and be an offensive foul. Yeah, I I, I thought clearly a uh, should have been a charge there. Uh, the commentators brought up a, a, maybe a decent point that because Vladi flops so much, maybe he didn't get that call there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you brought up Chris Webber. Uh, I think those guys were getting very, very upset. There was a call on Pollard where we thought clearly was a foul, and Pollard's just like, no way. You know, I, I think that kind of eats at you. Every time the, that whistle blows, you just start like, 
oh no, they're gonna you know try and take the game away from us again, and that just those little things take your focus away from the really the the great style of play that you know that they had all throughout this game. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had a possession where they should have worked the ball around and got a good shot, and you know Turk lose driving in the middle and ends up turning it over or something, you know and. Every, only a few plays like that, that's all it takes to lose a game like this, you know. Right. So, you know, another player that, you know, we've talked about several times throughout uh, our discussions on this series is Mike Bibby. Mm-hmm. I think for, you know, three quarters he really struggled quite a lot in this ball game. Yeah. But like he did in game five and like he had in other games, he came up big in clutch moments. Yeah, really, really clutch. I like him as a player. Mm-hmm. I really do. A lot of really uh, big shots down that stretch and doing it against the likes of Kobe on a lot of those situations. Yeah. Uh, the one commentator, uh, was, was straight up saying this, that, you know, uh, I mean, I think he kind of embellishes some of this, but he said something like Mike Bibby with the ball in his hands is saying to himself, like Kobe, you can't guard me. Uh, and I'm trying to think how many players throughout NBA history have been able to say that like Kobe Bryant, one of the best defensive players of his era, you can't guard me right now. Um, honestly, he was getting that shot off, you know, pretty well. It wasn't just going one-on-one with Kobe, though. It was a pick-and-roll situation where they're drawing Shaq out, and, you know, so a lot of it I thought was good play calling. But, mm-hmm. um, I just thought that was interesting. You got Kobe on you, and you're taking it to him. Right. So what about, uh, what were your thoughts on some of the uh, the Lakers kind of role players, the likes of, we haven't spoken much about, like, the likes of Derek Fisher or, you know, we, we mentioned Rick Fox came up big in, in games five and seven for sure. But uh, like a Derek Fisher or Robert Ory, what were your thoughts on, on those couple other Lakers starters? Uh, I thought Derek Fisher, you know, was out there giving a lot of effort. I didn't think he did a whole lot out there, Yeah. Uh, to be honest. Um, he didn't shoot well in the series, he really, for sure. He really didn't. I was, I was kind of surprised at that because my memory of him was always, you know, a pretty good, you know, shooter. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Ory, you know, I really didn't think he did much. Th- was it this game, Game 7, that he had that pick on? Uh, he, he picked the ball from Bobby Jackson, did that nice behind-the-back move. Game was, six, yeah. That was Game 6. That uh, was Game 6. Kind of bleeding together here. Um, I thought with Ory in this game where I didn't really see much of him throughout, and then down the stretch he's just hitting a few big threes, and I'm like, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's... That's seriously your game. Just hang out and then hit the big shot. Right. He seems to be one of those guys that for the first, you know, 42 minutes, you want to just lay off him and let him shoot. Right. But then the last five minutes, you're deathly afraid of him shooting. That's kind of the player he was. Right. In overtime, it just kind of felt like, you know, Sacramento, uh, they, they continued to execute, but just weren't able to knock down shots. I think at one point, Mike Bibby had a nice crossover move on Kobe, got to a free throw line jumper and just missed it off the back of the rim. Right. Chris Webber had an elbow kind of jumper that was pretty open that he just, you know, just missed a little bit. And, you know, they, they got open looks. Doug Christie had multiple pretty open looks in in the fourth and overtime. Yeah. Uh, you know, it didn't seem to me like the Lakers, you know, outplayed the Kings by too much just in terms of shot quality in overtime. It's just the Lakers were able to get a couple more to go and also get to the free throw line a little bit more and, and knock down the free throws. Right. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, looking back, is there any other comments you have just about the series as a whole? I think 
again, that, that YouTube series, The Greatest Tragedy in Sports, is uh, pretty apt. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's so sad to see what could have been with this series and, you know, with that team in general. They're such a good team. Uh, I really felt that they deserved to to win that series and go on and win the championship. And, you know, for something like that, you know, I get there's chance that's involved in any competition, but for the refs to be the one to decide that, uh, I don't think that should ever happen. Um, I mean, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I mean, the... The game six for me, like, yeah, of course, game four, it seemed like the Lakers got a few lucky breaks, but all in all, that was pretty much just a, a really tight game that could have gone either way. Yep. But, you know, in game six, that to me is one where that was a possession-by-possession possession ball game, despite the fact that the refs basically gave the Lakers a 15-point edge in that throughout the course of those 48 minutes, right. at least. So to me, it's like, you know, the, the Kings win that series in six, even even with the heroics of Robert Ory in Game 4, and even with the fact that, you know, Samaki Walker had that shot at half court that, that shouldn't have counted at the right. halftime of that Game 4. Uh, and so, you know, and then the fact that this Kings team had so much heart to overcome that Robert Ory shot, win the following game, overcome what was the worst refereed game in NBA history in Game 6 and still compete and... And it sometimes outplay the Lakers. You know, they were up nine at one point midway through the third quarter uh, and really have the free throws kind of be their undoing. It really has nothing to do with the Lakers. You right. know, it just the kind of, they kind of shot themselves in the foot in that respect. To me, it's just, uh, you know, in, in my mind, the, the Kings are the 2002 NBA champions. I think they were clearly the best team that year. Yeah. And, you know, People have the right to say, well, you know, that none of that matters. What you, you know, uh, the, the Lakers are going to go down as history as the 2002 champions, and, and that's a fair that's a fair comment. But at the same time, I, I I like basketball and I love sports because I think there is there is a bit of um, context involved that I think if you're if you're really fascinated and passionate about the sport, you're going to care about the context, and and I certainly do. Right. Yeah, me too. Uh, it's uh, crazy to me that I didn't know about this Kings team before. I, I never, had you not approached me about this, I never would have heard of Bobby Jackson. Mm -hmm. uh, I would never would have known how good Mike Bibby was. Which Bobby um, Jackson had a really good game seven. You know, I I, yeah. uh, I was telling you beforehand how much I liked Bobby <laughs> Jackson, but he really struggled in games four and five. Right. But game six and seven, he showed out. He really did. I, I really liked watching him play. And Chris Webber, you know, he's a player I knew about, obviously, uh, but I I did not know he was anywhere as good as, as he was, you know, as agile and athletic as he was. His passing skills, I'm so sorry that I, you know, <laughs> talked crap about it because the dude was able to, to throw some really nice passes. Yeah, and, he had 11 assists in Game 7, Webber. Yeah, a great all-around game, getting rebounds, scoring points. Uh, I think the, the graphic at one point with Game 7 was that he was, other than his foul shooting, he was leading the Kings in every other statistical category. Right. Um, you know, it's amazing stuff. And so it's sad to me that, you know, kids growing up probably aren't going to hear much about this team unless they're going back to you know, do like we're doing to, to rewatch these games. Mm -hmm. um, man, that's such a great team, you know. Well, and, you know, the 
the one kind of criticism that Weber took throughout most of his career was that he wasn't like this guy that was a lot of just give me the basketball down the stretch and I'll make plays for our team. Like he was, you know, he played the same way in the first minute as he would in the last. Right. And, but that's where I think the combo with Mike Bibby, where he was a guy that really wanted those last second shots, you know, and Mike Bibby as the team's best player is probably not good enough, but as the, as maybe the second guy, but also the, the main guy in clutch situations, it, it, it really works out. It really did, yeah. I, I think if you've got a healthy Pasha Stojakovic, this is a really solid team that would, uh, I think could have an argument against most other teams in, in history, yep. uh, you know, and obviously this, this uh, 2002 Lakers team. Man. Well, when you talk about... Uh, you know, certain years of, of teams. And, you know, the 2002 Lakers are a really good championship team. Right. You know, it's not as if uh, the Kings are losing to just a, a team in kind of a down year of the NBA. Like, right. you know, this is Shaq and Kobe still pretty much completely in their prime with, with role players that, you know, filled their, their needs and, and did what they had to do. Uh, you know, so the fact that the Kings were so close against such a such a tremendous Lakers squad it just goes to show you that you know in you know they play that 2002 Kings if you move them to some other just random NBA season uh, they they probably would end up being champions yeah crazy how that works out man that's feels so bad for the Kings fans out there I get why there's a Kings fan that was so uh, distraught that he would go through and make this YouTube series yes. about it um, man. Yeah, the uh, it, but this was certainly uh, certainly really fun to watch. Oh and, yeah, uh, you know it's. Uh, I mean, in terms of just NBA series that you've watched, how does this? Where does this rank for you? Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't have a list in my mind of top series, but this has to be up there as one of the tops. Like mm-hmm. every game was so uh, exciting, and even Game yeah. Seven, knowing the ending of it, and Game Six, you know, knowing the ending of it, but there was just so much drama. You know, all this outside stuff affecting the game. But then also, internally, like, the beauty of the game that we were watching, right? And the, the clash of the different styles with the teamwork and the amazing ball movement and unselfishness of the Kings to the just overwhelming star power of Kobe and Shaq. Uh, it was it was a really fun series to watch. I'm glad we watched it. And, and an interesting coaching matchup, too. Like, yeah. those were probably two of the best coaches of that era. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, Phil Jackson definitely deserves some props. I think he had uh, one moment specifically that I thought was pretty brilliant is, you know, Chris Weber hit a jumper to start overtime to give the Kings a two-point lead. Mm. But, uh, you know, Phil then pretty much immediately calls a timeout. And you'd think, oh, we're like 30 seconds into overtime. That's a kind of a strange time to call timeout. Yeah. But realizing that he didn't want the Kings to get any sort of momentum to start the overtime, he draws up a play, uh, essentially, where he has Shaq set a screen and roll to the rim, and then he sealed inside, and the, the guy, the ball handler, threw it up top, and then they did a high-low with Shaq and, and got an easy bucket. Right. But those are kinds of the possessions that uh, really changed the momentum of a, of a game, and, and I yeah. thought that was, was a critical situation. That's a really good point, yeah. But, uh, you know, Rick Adelman, I think, held his own. I think he did a, a pretty fantastic job. Uh, you know, he was a great coach throughout the years with, with teams like, uh, you know, Portland in the early 90s and 
Bill Walton at one point mentioned how, you know, he, uh, Adelman was unfortunate to go up against Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and now Shaq, but it's really true. You know, you, you talk about those players that are never able to get over the hump because of, uh, you know, some of the greats that they go up against, but a lot of times coaches have those same sorts of struggles. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, and I'm kind of chuckling to myself, too, is I think at one point in Game 7, Bill Walton, who, you know, always has ridiculous things to say, I think at one point he said, Rick Outerman is a saint with, with his patience on the sideline. I'm like, what are you talking about, Bill? <laughs> um, but no, great coaching on both sides, and um, yeah, and great Fun commentary, even though some of it was ridiculous with Bill Walton. Um, really fun. Him and the other color commentator were like arguing half the time. And... Yes. <laughs> A lot of times, just like, I completely disagree. <laughs> and, uh, you know, contradicting each other immediately after someone talks. And, right. They, uh, they need to get the ball to Shaq. They can't get the ball to Shaq. <laughs> well, I mean, they could try. Nope. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, um, uh, Bill Walton, this is going back to Game 6, he had a really funny comment, I thought, where he said, uh, you know, he mentioned some player, you know, goes through mental, physical, and even spiritual fatigue, (laughs) and both of us just laughed, because it's like, what does, what would spiritual fatigue be in a basketball game? Yeah, I don't under, I do, I get mental and, and physical fatigue, yeah, that's part of it, but, like, is your spirituality called into question <laughs> during the game? Um, I, I don't get it at all. And then, obviously, earlier on with his insistence on uh, comparing everyone to John Stockton yeah. for no reason. Right. <laughs> what were your thoughts on, on Marv's performance in the series, Marv Albert? Um, I mean, I thought it was good overall. I didn't really... It's kind of weird. I didn't really notice him a whole lot, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, I... I was mostly focused on Walton and the crazy things he was saying. What yeah. did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's he's really good. I think, yeah, he, he doesn't have any of those. I mean, of course, he has the classic yes call when, right. for certain shots. But for the most part, he doesn't he doesn't say anything crazy like, you know, uh, Kevin Harlan, I remember, with the um, right between the eyes. You know, right. he, he doesn't have any of that stuff that really makes you think, oh, Oh, there's there's an announcer doing this game. Yeah, but I think that's that's also a skill in itself that Marv can kind of just blend into the game itself. That's a good point. Yeah, I thought it was good. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that's all I've got uh, for this. Yeah, uh, thanks, Anthony, for uh, for joining me on this uh, adventure on this crazy adventure. Journey, yeah, uh... journey. Uh, <laughs> You know, down the rabbit hole of the 2002 Western Conference Finals, it was a series that I definitely wanted to to uh, to talk a little bit about because I, I I knew it was uh, was int- intriguing in a lot of different ways. But uh, hopefully, you enjoyed it uh, listening in. And uh... thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a, uh, a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, the show is also now on Spotify. Uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow, again, a rating on there, uh, that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes, uh, you can contact me. Uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g-bouguet at onu.edu. 
So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program. And uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar, and uh, have a great rest of your day.